0: What a blessing it is to get to see reports from the front lines of how our giving through the Annie Armstrong Easter offering is fostering the gospel going forward throughout our country and throughout our world. As we come in these moments, I want to ask you to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3 verses 12 through 17. Colossians chapter 3 verses 12 through 17. And as we continue our series on the importance of the church and the priority of God's people being active and participating within the body of the local church, we set our first week from Ephesians chapter five, that God loves his church and whatever it is that our God loves is exactly what his children should love. The second week we said from Hebrews chapter 10 that we need the local church because it is the primary tool God has designed within this earthly realm to facilitate the flow of the gospel to the ends of the earth and to help in conforming the Christian to the image of Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 12, we saw the third week that we are to worship God because of who He is and to serve him through the gifts that he has so graciously given to us. and then last week Last week, we looked at 1 Peter chapter 4 and we said that we are to be good stewards of the gracious gifts God has given to us to build up the body. That he has given us spiritual gifts and we as stewards must use them so that he might build up his body. Indeed, we said that as Christians, body worship and body building are not optional benefits for individual Christians. They are ordained blessings from or for God's children. Body worship and body building, they are not optional benefits for individual Christians. They are ordained blessings given by our great and gracious God. Today, we are going to turn our eyes to the things that ought to matter most as we look for a church in which to partner, a church in which to participate, a church to which we should tie ourselves so that we might worship and serve our God faithfully. And as we begin, I want to begin by telling you about a young man who four years ago I had the privilege of meeting. This young man was a young man named Demetrius. Many of you will remember the words and remember Demetrius and Latina. But Demetrius had been given an invitation by Jay Smiley to come and to... Uh, to participate in worship here at Adamsville Baptist. And I must admit, I was somewhat surprised the first week I greeted him and we talked just a just a short while. But the second week, I, I was actually sort, somewhat surprised to see him back because this young black man from inner city Detroit had had come back to a church that was predominantly white, that didn't worship in the ways that he had traditionally worshiped in, that wasn't exactly the prototype of where he would be comfortable in. And yet, as we sat down and we began to talk, our hearts began to mingle. A great bond formed. I asked if we could meet over at Chick-fil-A and to my surprise, as we poured out our hearts, we were very united. And he said this to me when I, when I talked to him a little bit about why he was drawn to Adamsville Baptist Church, what had gotten him uh, coming, and why he had stayed. He said this, I've been looking for a church that is unashamed in systematically preaching the message of the Gospel from the Bible. I have searched high and low for a church where the Bible is open, the Scripture is read, and the plain meaning of the Word of God is given to evangelize the lost and equip the Christian. Praise God. That in the midst of all the differences that the world sees, we could find a common identity. That we could bond together. Isn't it amazing that a young black man from inner city Detroit, Michigan, home of the Motor City, could unite with a young pastor from rural South Georgia with absolutely, seemingly nothing in common? I mean, he had industry all over the city. They had people everywhere. We had nothing. In fact, as I told you before, we had the 300-pound Avon lady. She's the biggest industry in town. That was it. And yet, we had everything in common. It was in, the, in that discipleship relationship that started that day from Chick-fil-A where we would begin reading God's Word together, spending time in personal prayer and accountability, challenging one another to live lives of consequence for God that both Demetrius and I discovered what was really most important. The most important thing was that we were blood-bought believers in Jesus Christ. We had been redeemed by His grace and we were living for His glory. And it didn't matter beyond that because all the other differences in the world were overcome and overshadowed because we were Christians. We were devoted to Christ. We were devoted to learning from His Word, to living by His Word, to seeking to glorify Him in everything we do and say. And so we began a bond of friendship and brotherhood that is unbroken even until this day. Issues like race and heritage, allegiance to geographic regions, economic backgrounds, academic backgrounds, music preferences, and, and career objectives. All of these things passed away. All of these things were immaterial, immaterial because they were obscured and overshadowed by the fact that we were worshipers of a living God. It is in our identity as Christians that the individual believer should find their most significant relationships. It is within the church of the living God, the family of faith, that we are to find our most significant relationships, our place where we worship God and where we serve God together. Here within this world, our relationship should revolve around those things that are central and not peripheral to God and to His revelation as we consider where to give ourselves in worship and in service of God with the gifts that He has given to us, we must answer the question, what are the things that matter most within the church of the living God? What are the things that matter most? Now, today, we're not going to answer all of the questions. We're going to sort of boil them down to three specific things. But there are any myriad and and sundry number of answers or questions that could be asked about how do I identify a good and healthy and vibrant local church. But let us begin by at least saying that we need to be asking, how do I identify a good and godly church? By what? Having the same priorities God has for his church. See, the wisdom that we need to choose a church is a little bit like the wisdom that we need in choosing a spouse. Now, ladies, it's okay to say that I prefer... To find a young man who has wavy blonde hair and blue eyes, a strong chin, loves soft soft, uh, opera music and good Italian meals and long romantic walks on the beach. All of those things are good. All of those things are valuable. All of those things are personal preferences. But listen, your priority should be to find a young man who has given himself completely to Jesus Christ and lives a life beyond reproach with character and integrity. Integrity and is trustworthy in every manner. You want a good husband, you find a godly husband. And you can't find a godly husband who doesn't love Jesus Christ. Listen, personal preferences are okay. But our priorities need to be rightly aligned, don't they? both when it comes to the issue of marriage and when it comes to the issue of partnership or or partnership with the local church. We need to be willing to sacrifice our personal preferences for the priorities of God's church. In the same way, it's it's not wrong to want a church with some people our own age. It's not wrong to want a certain style of music, a specific style of speaker, or certain aesthetic looks within the church. But understand, those are all personal preferences. Those are not priorities according to God's Word. As we seek a church in which to worship and serve, we ought to have two lists. First of all, there ought to be the must-have list, which are priorities that we have to have that are not going to be compromised for the church to which we partner. And secondly, there ought to be what would be nice to have. There ought to be what would be nice to have. These are comfort issues. These are places where we find comfort and acceptance. But listen, the things that matter most to us ought to be those things that are priorities to God and His family within this world. If we're going to join and partner with a faith family in seeking to expand God's gospel kingdom throughout the world to the ends of the earth, then you and I must have the same priorities of our God. And we must see the things that matter most. Let's look there in Colossians 3, verses 12 and following and see God's call for his people who are to be his witnesses within the watching world. Let's stand now and honor this, the reading of God's holy and inspired word. It says in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 and following, So, As those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful." Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. With all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Lord, we ask now that we indeed would do all things by Your grace and for Your glory that we would do all things in a way that honors you and pleases you, in a way that reveals the gospel, Father, not only to our church, but to our community. Lord, give us lives of influence. Father, let us see our sin where we fall short of honoring you in everything, in every area and aspect of our life. But Father, show us our Savior. Let us surrender our lives to Him. Let us commit ourselves to be conformed to his image. Lord, may you lead us and guide us now. And Father, make our priorities the things that matter most to you. In Jesus' name, amen. We come in this, this morning, we see in this passage that as Christians, God, God's Word should define the priorities for our local church. If you want to know what should set the goal, what should set the platform, what should set the priorities for a local church, here it is. God's Word should set the goals and the priorities for the local church. The church must be, uh, must be a people who value God's Word, who teach God's Word, who live out God 's word each and every day you want to find a partner a place you can partner with that you can be a part of the gospel ministry of Jesus Christ then you look for a church that is centered upon knowing and valuing and living under under uh, the wisdom of God's word you find yourself in a church who is willing to teach God's word without compromise and take firm biblical stands you find a place where the people live out the gospel in the midst of their daily lives. That's a church to be excited about. That's a church to be a part of. That's a church where we can partner for indeed. That's a church that has at its heart the things that matter most to God. Let us begin in verse 16 and let us ask ourselves the question today, within our church, do we value teach and live God's word. Do we value teach and live God's word? First of all, in verse 16, the first part of verse 16, we see that the church must value God's word, that God's word is to be living within us. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. The first priority for any true church seeking to serve Jesus Christ upon this earth must be that his beloved bride and bountiful body loves and is devoted to God's Word. God's Word must dwell in us as we dwell in it. In other words, we are to have God's Word just so permeating our lives, it is inseparable from who we are and how we live. As Paul writes to the church at Colossae, he is writing to a church that is having to stand firm against heretical teachings that are seeking to devour and to destroy the church. And he makes clear that only a person that has exchanged his old garment of sin for righteousness, Righteousness found in Jesus Christ has the hope of glory. And the implication is that as as believers, we are to be transformed into the character, into the image of Jesus Christ. The Word of Christ has now found a home within our hearts and now it is dwelling in us. We are not just hearing, but we are heeding God's Word. See, it should not come and go. It shouldn't just show up occasionally in our lives. It shouldn't be a vacation destination which we visit occasionally. God's Word is to dwell in us. It's to live in us. Eugene Peterson in his translation of the message says, let the Word of Christ have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. Think about that. Does God's Word live within you and live within I in such a way that it has complete control over our lives, that it controls what we say and how we think, how we speak, how we talk and walk. Listen, we, if we are truly Christians, must have the Word of God living Within us, saturating us. In Second Timothy chapter three, verses sixteen and seventeen, Paul is told young Timothy why it is important for God's word to saturate his life. When he says, "All Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness." Why? So that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. God wants you to work. He's got a ministry for you. He's got a service for you to complete. He's got that's something for you to do and something for you to say. And the question for you and I today is the question, are we letting God's Word dwell within us? Are we letting it control us? See, a God-glorifying, Christ-exalting, Spirit-led church is one that will be governed by God's Word. They value God's Word, but they let it govern their decisions, their hearts, their intentions. There are some churches that appear on the outside to be serious about God's Word. Oh, they've got it printed in their bulletin. Maybe they have it scattered on the walls. Maybe they even make reference to it occasionally within the course of the worship service. But the pastor may stand up and read a passage of Scripture to pretend to present biblical material only then to depart from it and to share his own personal priorities and opinions. Oh yes, these pastors may be very engaging. They may be very entertaining using all sorts of Scripture as condiments to the dish that they are serving. But the reality is God's word is never to be relegated to a condiment that seasons our messages. It is to be the meat of the message. Is to be the core of the message. The, indeed, the reality is the preacher is to have the word of God living within him and his message in such a way that it is clearly evident that, that that what God has said in his word is exactly what the preacher is saying in his message. And what he is saying in his message is precisely the meat of what God intended his word to say. The Bible is indeed the revelation of God given to man for the salvation of the sinner and the the sanctification of the same, and what God, the Word of God, is exactly what God intended to say, in exactly the way He intended it to be said, for exactly the purposes He intended to say it. We must never move away from that. We must never compromise. Donald Whitney says this, the kind of church you want to be a part of is one where the Bible, when the Bible is read at the beginning of a sermon, you can be confident that what follows will be built upon it. God made our hearts and only He knows what we need most. And He made our hearts for the Word of God. Nothing nourishes us like God's message. Let me ask you this morning, Where do you seek your nourishment? Do you just want to be entertained? Do you just want to have somebody placate you and play games and not prepare you to walk and to live in a strong spiritual life under the, under the leadership and direction of God's Word. If you do, there are any number of churches within our culture that will provide that. But listen, we should not be placated by being engaged and entertained. We should be satisfied when the Word of God is read and systematically taught and exposes our lives to what God wants us to be. Charles Spurgeon said the Word of God is like a caged line. And indeed, all we need to do is set the line free and it will defend itself. Listen, pastors are not to be peddlers of self-help psychobabble and prosperity. We must be people who preach the book and have the Word of God dwelling in us and, and ruling and reigning over the course of our lives. Listen, when we look for a church, we are to look for a church that values God's Word by submitting to it and being governed by exactly what it says. The Word is to dwell in the people in the church. From the pastor who's in the pulpit to the people who are in every pew. Listen, the Word of God is to direct our thoughts, our actions, and the intentions of our hearts. So, how can we identify whether a church is ruled uh, by God's Word, whether they value God's Word? Well, first of all, there are two questions that we can ask. First, Is this a church where God's Word guards and guides the decisions that are made? Is this a a church where God's Word guards and guides the decisions that are made? In other words, do they receive the counsel of God's Word or do they just sort of reappropriate it as they see fit? Let us, Adamsville Baptist Church, commit ourselves to being first and foremost a church that receives every word of God's revelation in Scripture. And as we receive it, we live it. We let it tell us what to do. We don't try to fit it into our systems. We give ourselves completely to it. Second question is, does this church uh, receive sound doctrine? And does sound doctrine really matter? See, Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, he says, listen, there's coming a day when men will not stand sound doctrine. They will want their ears tickled and their back scratched. And listen, you're going to be tempted to give in. But don't you give yourself to doing that because it's important that the people hear sound doctrine. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 shows the picture of a young and vibrant expanding church. Thousands of people coming to Christ in a single day. And there it says that, that they devoted themselves to the apostles doctrine. We must give ourselves not just to knowing about God, but to knowing and believing God, to having it within our hearts and our lives. The doctrine of the Bible must permeate the reality of our lives. Listen, they, we see within our time, there are many churches who say no creed but Christ and no book but the Bible. But listen, be very careful. Be very very guarded. Test the spirits and test the words, and see what's actually within that church. Because, listen, the Jehovah's Witness might very well say that same word, but you need to understand that the Jehovah's Witness believe that Jesus Christ is something lesser than the real eternal and everlasting God, and he, and that the Bible is only rightly interpreted when they tell you what it says through the Watchtower Tract Society. Don't buy it. The Mormons will tell you, oh yes, we believe in Jesus Christ, but they won't tell you that they believe in a created Christ who is not God himself. They will not tell you that indeed they believe that you have to have the works of Joseph Smith to really tell you what the Bible says. That's not God's word. If you value God's Word, it's going to rule and reign every area and aspect of your life. And so we need to be a church that values God's Word. Let God's Word dwell in you as you dwell in it. Secondly, the church must teach God's Word. At the end of verse 16, he goes on to say, not only is the Word of God to richly dwell within you, but with all wisdom you are to be teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. See, the centerpiece, and so here we see the church must teach God's Word, not only value God's Word, but teach God's Word. And the centerpiece that displays the church's reality of valuing God's Word is that it will take as the source and the substance of all of its teaching the Word of God. It won't make it, it won't make opinions, it won't make personal preferences a matter of the teaching. It will make God's Word the central issue of their teaching. He says two, he uses two words to describe the proclamation of the local church here in this passage. He says, first of all, teaching. And that is a positive instruction of those around you with the, through the faithful exposition of the scriptures. In other words, you are teaching faithfully how someone is to live in godliness. You are telling them the commands of God and what he has said that the believer in Jesus Christ is to do. But secondly, he says, in addition to the positive aspect of proclamation, which is teaching he says you are also to be doing what you are also to be admonishing one another and this is the negative aspect to proclamation of god's word you're not just to tell each other what you are to do but in that case in that time when somebody falls into sin you are to confront it faithfully and tell them what they are not to do as well See, Christians teach and admonish one another when they worship together in order to spur one another along to love and to good deeds according to Hebrews chapter 10, through the teaching and admonition of God's Word, new believers learn how to live as the children of God when they observe the older saints seeing, understanding, reading, and studying and applying God's Word faithfully, when they see them imitating Jesus Christ, when they see them coping with the passions of the flesh and reacting spiritually when love and unity is tested within the body of believers within the local church. Indeed, at that moment, those young Christians, Look up to the older Christians and they see how to rightly divide, interpret, and apply God's Word. Parents, it is your position to teach your children how to rightly study, divide, understand, and apply God's Word. We are here to come alongside of you. We are here to help you. We are here to support you. But it is your position to guard and to guide your children in the revelation of Scripture. Grandparents, it's your position to guard and to guide your family in understanding and applying Scripture into into their life. We all need to know and understand how to rightly divide and apply God's word. And the older generation is supposed to pass on to the younger generation so that all of us might be molded into the image of our maker and our savior. Second Timothy chapter two or chapter four, verses one and two. Paul tells Timothy there's to be something central, something pivotal, something that, it, that is so, uh, so permeating his ministry that everyone ought to know what Sinner in his teaching, in his proclamation, and what is it? He says, Timothy, preach the word. Don't bother them with your opinions, Timothy. Don't, don't bother them with your pet thieves. Don't bother them with your personal preferences. You preach God's word. Deed. The source and substance of true biblical preaching is the revelation of God. Charles Spurgeon says this, Do not go where it is all fine music and grand talk and beautiful architecture. Those things will neither fill anybody's stomach nor feed his soul. Go where the gospel is preached, the gospel that really feeds your soul, and go often. See Acts chapter 20 verses 26 through 27 as Paul's packing up and he's leaving Ephesus. He looks at the elders there at Ephesus and he tells them, listen, as I go out, I want you to know something. I am declaring to you, I am innocent of the blood of all of you. I don't have any of your blood on my hand. Why could Paul look at those elders at Ephesus and say that? Because he said in the next verse, I have declared, I have not shrunk back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God word. I didn't pull back. I didn't spare any punches. I didn't pull any punches. I gave you everything God's word says. See, the church is teaching from cradle to grave ought to center around the scriptures. And understand this, the cornucopia on the table of our teaching is to be the gospel of Jesus Christ revealed throughout the text of scripture. Jesus Christ says all of the writings, all of the law, and all of the prophets are about me. In the New Testament, it is obvious that the whole point of the New Testament that is the revelation of the living Messiah, Jesus Christ, and the question for you sunday school teachers awana workers the children's ministry workers youth workers the question for all of us is is the center point of our message the center point of god's revelation see the gospel is the salvation of sinners it is given for the salvation of sinners and the gospel is what sanctifies sanctifies sinners and so when we stand to proclaim, we ought to, no matter where we talk uh, talk from, we ought to talk about the Word of God, exactly what it means and how it applies. And we ought to teach and admonish one another faithfully in such a way that we are revealing the Gospel so that we are showing what it means for, for the Gospel to come and live and indwell in our lives. We ought to have the revelation on the tip of our tongue that God has revealed Himself as a perfect and pure, holy and just God who... Who is perfect in every way. He has created man in his own image to have a personal relationship with him. A perfect and pure relationship with him. And yet man because of his own disobedience because he reviled and rejected the commands of God has chosen to live for his own glory and by his own desires instead of by God's commands. And because of that he is under the just judgment of the living God. The wrath of God. And Adam and Eve were removed from the from the uh Because they had sinned and violated the commands of God. But now God, in His grace and mercy, has extended to us an olive branch, a a gospel of peace, something that makes right that broken relationship, that damaged relationship. It is the message that Jesus Christ Himself has come and lived a perfect and pure life, died upon the cross of Calvary, shed His blood for your sins and my sins, and now has risen in glorious victory. if we would respond by repenting of our sins and placing our faith in him, we might be children of God. Teachers, you want to know what to center your teaching on? That's what you center your teaching on. Doesn't matter if you're in Genesis or Revelation, you center your teaching on the central message of the Bible, God's Gospel. Let me add there are two questions we can ask in this area of whether or not a church teaches God's Word. First of all, is the gospel the central message of the church? Is the gospel the central message of the church? Secondly, is there a biblical admonition, correction, and discipline for those that claim Christ? In other words, when someone says that they're a Christian but they are not walking as a Christian, is there a biblical admonition and discipline and correction for those? that claim to be Christians. See, we have to have two focuses within the church. We've got to love people enough to reach out to them and offer them the gospel so that they come in. That's missions. But secondly, we have to love them enough to discipline them at times too. And see, the real question for a church is not just whether or not we love people enough to bring them in, but at times, do we love people enough to kick them out? Not popular in our culture. Well, I want to be here. I want to be a part. Are you living by the commands of Christ? Are you obeying His commands? If not, we as a church have a responsibility to confront sin within the camp and call for repentance and restoration. Or otherwise, we have to divide and, and remove that person. Not, not in response, a violent response to something done to us, We must be willing not just to love people enough to bring them in, but we also have to love people enough to put them out. Those are questions that will guide to see whether a church is willing to proclaim God's Word faithfully, teach God's Word faithfully, both in teaching and admonition. Thirdly, this morning, the church must live God's Word. The church must live God's Word. Look there in verses 12 through 15. So, and listen and just let this sink in. See, ask yourself this question as I read through this passage. Say, would those who love me most and who know me best, would they say this is the description of my life? Listen to it. As those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful." Verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. See, if you're going to be within the church, you need to find a church who lives the gospel within the context of their lives. We ought to be people who live God's Word. Look at the behavior and the love that is to be shown within the church, chosen of God, holy and beloved, because God has saved us from our sin by His grace and for His glory and now has filled us with the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit who is able to raise Jesus Christ from the dead and make Him step out of that grave alive. He is the same Holy Spirit that can renew your life, resurrect you, and He can cause... A man who was once dead in his transgression and sin to step forth and be a new creation in the power of Jesus Christ. Listen, that same spirit is given to each and every Christian and we ought to be living it out on a daily basis. Well, you just don't know what he said about me. Well, you just didn't see the look that she gave me last week at Bible study. Man, she, just, she used the prayer request time at prayer meeting to, to be able to gossip about me. You ever had these problems? Do we ever see that occur from time to time in relationships? Absolutely. But it should not be that way. For indeed, as blood-bought, redeemed believers in Jesus Christ, sons and daughters of the Most High, empowered by the Holy Spirit, we are to respond in compassion and love and peace. Our words and our works in every area and aspect of our life are to display a love and devotion to Jesus Christ as Lord above all. How would those that know you best... And see you most say that you're doing. How, how would they say you're doing in these areas? See, we are to be ruled by the Word of God. How we speak to others is to be a direct reflection of our re- relationship with Jesus Christ. Psalm 1914, the psalmist prays, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my Redeemer. Let me ask you, when have you justified your words? Before the living God. Well, God will understand. I mean, after all this, it's Sunday morning. It's Monday morning. And He's being mean, she's being cruel. Sister has caused me all these problems. Secondly, not only in the words, but in the works, how we work for others also reflects our relationship with Jesus Christ. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of Jesus Christ. See, Colossians 3.23 sort of spells this out. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that your reward comes from who? From God. See, St. Francis of Assisi said it this way, preach the gospel always and when necessary, use words. And now listen, he's not denying the call of Paul in verse 16 to teach and admonish using words. He is calling for everything we do in word or in work to testify to the transforming work of Jesus Christ in our lives. The peace of Christ and the word of Christ must impact the words and works of our lives if we are to pursue and seek God's glory through our lives in all things. The reality is verse 15, 16, and 17 are all linked in one word. They all have the word thanks or thanksgiving in it in one form or another. What he's saying is, listen, people who have been changed and transformed... By the love of the living God, ought to live lives of consequence. They ought to live differently. They ought to live differently. Every action should be an action of worship and praise to the living God. And so, there are three questions that we ought to ask ourselves. First of all, is this a church where all strive to live out God's word? Where everyone strives to live out God's word? James chapter one verse twenty-two says that we are not just to be merely hearers of the word, but doers of the word. We must be hearers and doers true belief is revealed in our actual behavior and so let me ask you does your actual behavior match up to what you claim to believe second question is is this a church where i can find and cultivate godly relationships is this a church where i can find and cultivate godly relationships listen disciples are not born disciples are made that's why jesus christ gave us a great commission That's why it's incumbent upon us to teach his word. We each should have one hand reaching back to someone behind us, bringing them along in the faith and one hand reaching out before us to someone in front of us who is helping us to come along and to grow in the faith. We ought to see ourselves as Proverbs 27:17 says, as iron sharpening iron. Well, pastor, I just come on Sunday morning and I sit for an hour and 15 minutes and then we get up and we go on home and I never bother to relate to anybody or live in a personal relationship so that I might be changed and transformed into the image of God, then you're missing out on the local church experience. Listen, Come Sunday mornings at 9.15 and be a part of Sunday school. Find some personal relationships. Build a small group within your Sunday school, a group that you can study God's Word with. Build a small group in your Sunday school class where you can can pray together and encourage one another, exhort one another on to love and good deeds where you can truly be iron sharpening iron. Look for opportunities to, to participate in that way. Indeed, we are to spur one another along to love and good deeds but we can't do that if we're never together outside of a few minutes on sunday morning look for those opportunities come next sunday morning at 9 15 we'll be happy to point you to a class show you where you can get plugged in and active Third question, is this a church where members are challenged to use their spiritual gifts in worship and in service? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12 says that the preaching and the teaching of those who are overseeing the church is for the purpose of edifying and equipping the members of the body for the work of service, for the work of ministry. Let me just be straight with you. I believe this is where I have failed the most as a pastor. I've given myself to consistent teaching, given myself to consistent challenging and charging and dividing and interpreting and applying the Word of God. We have failed as a church, I believe, to give everyone an opportunity to use their spiritual gift of service within the context and community of faith that we call Adamsville Baptist Church. We need more opportunities to serve. Because true service is where real growth happens. When I use the spiritual gifts that God has given me and I pour them out and I'm spending time learning and understanding and applying God's word and then pouring myself out in ministry, that's where we change the most. And so we're looking into restructuring and revamping possibly Sunday night for an opportunity for our church body to be engaged in ministry, for each one of you to have an opportunity to go out and to minister, whether that's uh, through gifts of mercy ministry here within the body, whether that's using your gift of evangelism, whether that's going out and spreading the gospel and just being uh, being a person who steps out and serves and ministers within the context of this community. We're going to look at, at the... Uh, we used to have... a have a meeting that was called acts that that was designed for us to go out and to serve we're going to be looking at bringing that back in a different form and fashion with more more emphasis being given to disciples being disciples and completing the works of ministry that we are given guys look around Especially you that were here five years ago when I preached my first sermon. Look around. Half of those who were with us then are not with us now. Because they have gone on to glory to be with our Lord. But you know what? If we don't get on the ball and get about the task of completing the Great Commission by facilitating the flow of the gospel to the ends of the earth and the making of disciples within the context of the local church, we are going to die in a generation. We must, must, must be people that let the gospel live through our lives. It's not wrong to want a church where some of the people are your age. It's not wrong to want a church with a certain style of music, a specific style of speaker, uh, a certain aesthetic look. But don't let your personal preferences get in the way of God's priorities. Let God's priorities guide your priorities. Let God's desire, uh, desire for His people to value His Word, to teach His Word, and to live His Word consume us. Let it change us to have a heart like our Lord's. Father, as we come to the close of this service today, we ask that you would change us and transform us into your image. Father, that the things that are a priority to you would be a priority to us. Father, that in everything that we do and say, Father, that truly, we would follow you and give you all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory for the good and gracious things that you have done. Father, May you guide and guard this church so that we might have a vibrant witness within this community, that we might see many reached within this community with the gospel of Christ by the way that we live changed and transformed lives in the course of our day, in the the midst of our businesses, in the midst of our schools. Father, may we be a living testimony to all those around us. Father, we pray this morning as well. Father that you would just show us where you want us to serve and father that through the power of the holy spirit you would give us the strength that we need to step out and to do your work father let us follow you wherever you lead in jesus name amen let's stand now and